Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Hi, welcome to Faith Dialogue. I'm Ken Bear, one of the pastors here in Celebration, Florida. Our Wednesday messages, these messages that you're watching, are part of a series we call Pondering Prophecy. We have taken the time over the last few months to speak on those items in Scripture that specifically talk about the end of days, the Scriptures that are connected uh, in part, um, to a great extent, to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, the study of prophecy, particularly the prophecies connected with the second coming, are part of a study called eschatology. Now that's a fancy Greek word that actually just means the study of last things. Or in our modern usage of the, of, of the term, it's the study of the end. You know, I find it interesting, maybe you do as well, that some of the terminology that's found in our study of the scriptures, particularly uh, eschatology, uh, has also found its way into our modern day vocabulary. For example, uh, the word apocalypse. You know, it's a modern word. And when somebody says apocalypse or apocalypse now, or it's part of a, a film title or a video or, or something that you read, it's talking about destruction. It's talking about a catastrophe. It's talking about a, an utter destruction of biblical, of, of biblical proportions. And it's a description of the end. In, in reality, the word apocalypse comes from the Greek, Greek word apocalypso. And apocalypso uh, means to uncover, it means to unveil. It's exactly why the last book of the New Testament is called the, um, the Revelation. It comes from the word apocalypso. It's the revelation, or better yet, the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, what comes from our biblical studies um, is often uh, found in... Um, more contemporary usage, however, it's usually used improperly. And the other word is, is Armageddon, it's closely associated. Like apocalypse, the word Armageddon is in common usage today, and it refers to a disaster, it, it, it refers to the destruction. In actuality, uh, Armageddon is a transliteration of a Hebrew term called Har Megiddo. It's actually a place. It's, it's the Mount of Megiddo or Megiddo, and it's in northern Israel. It's a real place. And the, uh, the book of Revelation uh, mentions it only once, and it's the gathering of armies that come at the very end of the tribulation, and they actually fight against Israel. They fight against the Lord. You know, it's likely, it's likely because of um, under, misunderstanding of what these words actually mean. But for the Christians that use these words, it really means there's a lot of biblical illiteracy. Some have decided to decide that they really don't want to know, or some have decided that they just want to embrace what the secularists have to say about the end times. And as a result, we have a lot of misunderstanding of what it means to prepare for the end. And that's our topic for today. Our topic for today and this, uh, this message today is called preparing for the end. And rather than choosing to take our 
our cues on what to do uh, from things like the Prepper's Guide to Surviving the End of the World as we know it. That's a real book. Uh, we'll be using the Bible. We'll be using what the scriptures have to say about the end times and specifically what the, what the Bible has to say about preparing for the end. Now, before we get started, the question is why? Why is it that today, uh, this time, during these years, there are so many people that are interested in preparing for the end? Or there is so, so many people that are interested actually in, in Bible prophecy. What does the Bible have to say about the time? What is it about this time that makes people think that we're close to the end? Well, there's, there's likely a number of reasons. And it's not just biblical prophecy that we're seeing being fulfilled. But, you know, there's many secularists, people that don't have anything to do with God. Um, these are people that are climate scientists or they're radicals within the World Health or, uh, Organization. Uh, those, there are those that fear nuclear proliferation and also those that eschew uh, population growth. Many of these secularists are saying that we are actually minutes away, minutes away from the end. For example, on January 27th, 2021, not that long ago, a few weeks ago, the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, I didn't even know there was such a thing, set a doomsday clock at 100 seconds to midnight. Um, these are well-educated scientists. And, and I found out that for the last 75 years, these groups of scientists, and they've come and gone obviously over 75 years, have been proclaiming that the nuclear destruction of the world is literally moments away. You know, there are also, uh, independent from these scientists, there are others with, with really no formal education, no advanced degrees in science that are saying the same types of things. For example, there's this young, young girl, Greta Thunberg, and the, the media made her famous uh, back when she was in the ninth grade. Um, and she said that we had less than seven years to reverse climate change or it was, it was the end. Uh, now, Greta is not a climate scientist. I'm sure she's a lovely young lady, but she's only 18 years old now and she has, she has no formal education. She has no formal scientific training uh, of any type. She doesn't possess any expert type knowledge in, in any discipline of any kind. However, just like Al Gore, our, our vice president back in uh, the early 2000s, uh, he predicted in 2006 that the earth had less than 10 years before the polar ice caps, caps would be completely melted. You know, Greta and others like her love to make these, these dire predictions. It, it makes them famous. It sells books. It gives them more followers on social media. And the media loves them and they love these predictions. Now, here's the bottom line. All of these predictions are, are utter nonsense. While it is likely true that there are probably enough <laughs> nuclear missiles, there's enough in our nuclear arsenals of all the world uh, that we probably can kill all the people on the earth uh, many times over. But we're told in the Bible that there's something that's presently restraining this evil, this lawlessness, this, this march towards Armageddon. I'm talking about the actual Armageddon. See, God is fully in control. And the church, through the Holy Spirit, is restraining the lawlessness and the destructive events associated with what we know as the end times. 
And yes, it's, it's true that there have been Christians that also have been predicting the second coming of Jesus Christ for, for hundreds, hundreds of years. You know, uh, former NASA engineer and Bible student Edgar Wisnett uh, predicted back in 1988 uh, that the rapture would be in 88. He, he, um, he wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. The book sold millions of copies. Uh, but here's the thing. For every Christian date center like Edgar Wisnett and others, there are literally hundreds of secularists uh, that are calling also for the end of time. And they embrace the notion that somehow all of us are living on what they call borrowed time. Many of those that actually believe this, believe the climate people or the overpopulation people or the let's embrace whales rather than babies. Now, I didn't find their website, but I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Many of these people have actually created this phenomenon we have today. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a phenomenon called survivalists or, or better yet uh, um, survivalism. And some of the people that follow this are called Preppers. I love that name, preppers. Uh, well, it may be uh, good for all of us uh, to prepare for emergencies. Uh, uh, these people that are, that are preppers, that are waiting for the end time, um, they've actually been deceived and they're truly misguided. You know, we all, in, here in Florida, we know about preparing for emergencies. We have a thing called hurricanes uh, that happen here on a regular basis, four or five months during the summer. And for most of us that live in Florida, we know what it means to prepare. We have plenty of water, some extra batteries, some non-perishable uh, food items, and of course some extra toilet paper around the house. However, I said that these survivalists or preppers are misguided. And the reason for that is because of their emphasis on what they describe as self-reliance or being completely self-sufficient. There's nowhere in the Bible uh, that we're told we are to be self-sufficient. Actually, what the Bible says is literally the opposite. The Bible encourages us to be codependent. You know, there's nearly 100 one another statements in the New Testaments. Um, we're told to bear one another's burdens, to encourage one another, to love one another, to pray for one another. And I could go on for another 30 or 40 more one another's. These are behaviors. These are behaviors that actually out overflow from our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But these behaviors require other people. We can't love one another without other people. Others must be involved in order to fulfill who we are in the body of Christ. You know, Pastor Andy Stanley says the primary activity of the church, of the church is one anothering one another. <laughs> I like that. You know, we're not to be lone wolves. We're not to be self-sufficient. We're not to be isolated. We are to be dependent upon one another. This means that for those that call themselves Christians and are also preppers, the ones that believe that they can remain safe and protected by being apart from society, by hiding in their basements or retreating to uh, the wilderness or the Ozark Mountains or storing seven years of supply, a freeze-dried apocalypse chow, they've also been deceived. So let's move on and talk about our topic for today, preparing for the end. 
Now, when we speak of the end, the end of time, and we're talking about what the Bible has to say, we actually have to make a distinction between the general term, end times, and the actual end of days. First, in many ways, the end began with the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the birth of the church. Jesus put an end to sin. He brought an end to the unfettered work of the evil one. He defeated death and he opened heaven to all of those that are redeemed by his blood and, his, and because of his resurrection from the dead. However, in the Bible, the end also specifically means the end of time. And that's that period of time immediately preceding and including the seven years prior to the coming of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul addresses this clearly in his letter to the Thessalonians. You may be familiar with the saying that uh, the Lord will come like a, a thief in the night. A lot of people know that, that saying. Well, that's actually in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And while this is true, uh, that doesn't mean that we as believers won't see some of the signs. The Apostle Paul says this about the day of the Lord, and again, this is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, and I'll read it to you. It says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord will come, so comes as a thief in the night. And when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But then he continues, verse 4, he says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or sleep, we should live together with him. And then the Apostle Paul ends this teaching with, with these words. Therefore, comfort, therefore comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. So you see these, these end times that are coming are not necessarily those times to be feared or create needless anxiety, but we are to comfort one another with these words. We're to not be in darkness. The day will not overtake us like a thief in the night. Number two. Secondly, the source of what the Bible has to say about the climatic end of this age is typically found in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, or better called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, while this book is very symbolic, it has a lot of symbols in it, it speaks clearly, first of all, to the church age, represented by the seven letters to seven churches. And then after the church age, there is a set of judgments, a series of judgments, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials. And these are the coming end times of civilization, the climatic end of the age. Now third, and this is key, the focus of the seven years that follows the church age is Israel. It's both the people of Israel as well as the nation of Israel that is the focus 
of these prophecies of the end times. Now, towards the beginning of these seven years, for example, the Lord seals or he marks his own 144,000. And he marks them at, from the 12 tribes of Israel, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, not a Gentile among them. The Lord protects the two witnesses on the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half years or 42 months or exactly 1260 days. And these are two Jewish prophets of God. And they'll have miraculous powers that accompany their message. Revelation 11 says that no one will be able to stop them until the end of their ministry. And then at the end, the beast, the one that we know as the Antichrist, will kill them. But then three and a half days later, these two witnesses will be resurrected. And while the world watches, uh, they arise into heaven. And, and see, this is, this, is, this is key. We have to understand that the end times are a time of God's judgment. But at the same time, it's also a time of the redemption of Israel. In fact, Paul says about these end times that ultimately all, all, all of Israel will be saved. That was number three. So number four, and here's a very interesting thing. The reason why we who believe what the Bible has to say need to prepare for this time completely differently uh, than the preppers, than those that refuse to believe, those that are gathering weapons and food and ammunition. It's these, and the reason is, is because these events that are described in the book of Revelation, these seven years are called the time of Jacob's trial. It's a time when Israel is in focus, as I said. And they all happen after the church age. That means that when the fullness of Gentiles has come, and that's one of the phrases in the Bible, when the fullness of Gentiles has come, God the Father will turn to his son, Jesus Christ. And he'll say, it's time, son, go get your bride. And the Bible is clear that we who are alive will be caught up together with the saints of old. We'll meet Jesus in the, in the air, in the heavens. The body of Christ will not be part of the seven years of tribulation. We are not destined for wrath. I just read that it's in 2 Thessalonians. It's just one of the many verses that says that we will be taken out of the way, will be removed, that we're not destined to go through, that we will be spared that trial. So, if we're not going to go through the tribulation, but we know that the time is short and that many of our friends our neighbors and many of our families don't believe and they will have to, how is it that we should prepare for the end? Well, I'm glad you asked the question. The answer to this question is actually given to us in the New Testament book of Hebrews. I'm just going to use Hebrews primarily. At the very beginning of the book of Hebrews says this, uh, chapter 1 verse 1 says, God who at various times and in various ways spoken the time past to our fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he has also made the world. The book of Hebrews is framed by these words, in these last days. As I mentioned before, the term last days includes the age of the church, these last 2,000 years when God's grace has been poured out unto both the Jew and the Gentile, and anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. But the last days also specifically means the very last days, the days prior to the coming of the Lord. 
And we have said that there will be signs. Believers will see these signs and they'll come to understand that we are close. Uh, the, uh, the thing is, and that was what I read before, is the, this time will not come upon us like a thief in the night. It's during this time that we're, we're, we are um, cautioned to not neglect so great a salvation. That's in Hebrews 2, uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 3. You know, I remember so very well uh, the first time I heard this, the, the phrase uh, to be saved or are you saved? Um, it was the same time, this was the, the 70s, and they were talking about people that were being born again. Now, my religious upbringing uh, you never included uh, these words about being saved, about being born again. Now, we didn't deny the existence of God, uh, but we never knew much about being saved. But that was the point. Jesus came to, to save us. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy, this is a faithful saying and the worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. So the first thing we need to do in preparing for the end is, number one, don't neglect so great a salvation. Now, if you haven't heard that you can be saved, let me tell you, my friend, you can. The Apostle Paul told us that if we believe in our heart, uh, that Jesus is Lord and confess with our mouth that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We are saved because of what Christ has done already. We look back to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ to have confidence that we too can be saved. Let's continue for our theme today, preparing for the end. Then, in the third chapter of the book of Hebrews, we're told to be faithful. Okay, so we want to not neglect such a great salvation, but here in the third chapter of, of Hebrews, we're told to be faithful. Verse 1 says, Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to him, who appointed him as Moses, was also faithful in his house. So the second thing we need to do in preparing for the end is to remain faithful. The scripture continues, and we're reminded of how we need to hold fast and hold fast to the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm until the end. Holding fast is the same as the phrase as remaining faithful. The book of Hebrews continues, and this time the third chapter we're told again, and this is the context of the end and preparing for the end. It says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you should be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end. So the third thing we need to do in preparing for the end is to exhort one another, that is to encourage one another. You know, we've had the opportunity over the last oh, 20 years in ministry to start a few men's groups specifically to encourage each other. And we call them 2717 groups. And it's taken from Proverbs 2717 that says, as iron sharpens iron, one as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Now these groups are our Bible studies, and, and they're for anybody that wants to attend. But the main reason we have these Bible studies for men is so that we can encourage each other. And this ties in as well as what I mentioned before about the being there for one another. You know, there's, there's over a hundred one another uh, references in the New Testament. Now one another is just word in the, one word in the Greek. Uh, the word is eleron. 
Um, it's, it's not a verb. It's about, it's about something that we are, we are told to do. It, it, it is the Christian community, a way that the Christian community functions as a, a body. It's how we accept each other. It's how we are at peace with one another, how we comfort one another, how we forgive one another and submit to one another. In all, there are 36 different ways we are told to eleron, to uh, to be together, to function one upon another. So that was number three. Number four, I wanted to just stick with the book of Hebrews. That was my intention as I started this. But there's something that the Apostle Peter says uh, regarding the end times and how to prepare that I want to share with you as well. Peter specifically talks about the end times in his epistle called Third Peter. In his epistle, this his letter, Peter does not suggest that believers head for the wilderness or to the mountains. He doesn't suggest we become self-sufficient and start stockpiling food and weapons. Instead, Peter simply states this. He says, since all these things, all these things we're talking about, all these things these preppers assemble, all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and in goodness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Now Peter tells us, and this is number four, that what we're supposed to do, and this would have included Christians living through um, at any time in the last 2,000 years, as, and specifically those that are around at the very end, um, that we practice holiness and do good to others whenever and whenever they can. That's what Peter's saying. He says, be good, practice holiness, be holy. You know, God, Jesus said that. He said, uh, the, the Bible says, be holy for, for God is holy. And that we're supposed to do the works of God while it is day. So the fourth thing we need to do in preparing for the end is to practice holiness, do good to others. Okay, so let's get back to the book of Hebrews and finish up our list of how to prepare for the end. In the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews, there's a verse that we personally have used many times, especially now with COVID and the virus of fear that has swept this country, has shuttered many of our churches and kept people out of fellowship in their local churches. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, the scriptures tell us, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, or as it has been the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. You see, it, it breaks my heart and breaks the hearts of many pastors when so many people that used to be pretty regular attenders in church have decided that now it's better to, to stay home. Here in Hebrews, it tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. You see, the, the church is an assembly. That's actually what the word church means, ekklesia. It means an assembly. Um, it's not even a religious word in the Greek. It just means people gathering together. People need to be together. That's what an assembly is. So the fifth thing we need to do in preparing for the end is to keep assembling to keep together. Keep going to church. I tell people, if the doors of the church are open, be there. Uh, we need to gather together. It's in church when we're together, in this assembly, that we worship together, we pray together, we serve together, we learn together. You know, one of the, one of the reasons we come together is to receive communion. Even the word communion means fellowship. 
It requires more than one person. It's something you can't do when, when you're alone. It's something that you do when you're all together. We can't fellowship by ourselves. We need to keep meeting together. Notice also that in Hebrews 10, it says, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more. I'm going to emphasize the word you can underline it in your Bible in Hebrews 10.25. Underline, and so much more as you see the day approaching. So, so much more. So let's, let's review what the Bible has told us to do um, in order to prepare for the end. The first one was don't neglect so great a salvation. Number two, the second thing was to remain faithful. The third thing we needed to do in order to prepare for the end was to encourage one another. The fourth thing we needed to do in preparing for the end was to practice holiness. That was out of, out of Peter. And the fifth thing, our last reading on the, on the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, was to keep assembling together, to keep going to church. Again, if the doors are open, you need to be there. You know, my friends, everything we see around us today, from Israel being back in the land of, of the promised land to the growing deception, uh, the lawlessness, the rampart immorality, all of these things tells me that the, the Lord is returning soon. We may be, um, we will not be completely unaware. That's what, that's what the Bible says. Paul tells us that this will not come upon us like a thief in the night, but we'll be able to see the signs. We will see them, see these things coming. Actually, since this time is to be marked by widespread deception, and the Bible tells us that we will not be deceived, I foresee a time when it becomes very clear that we perceive things differently than the people around us. You know, you may, this may all be happening to you. You may hear something on TV or read something online, and you'll say, you know, that just doesn't make any sense. And to you and to millions of others that are in the body of Christ, it won't make any sense because we are not the ones being deceived. The deception is going on to the general public, those that dwell on the earth, that don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. These people are, are ripe for deception, and the Bible says they will be deceived. The more and more you feel like the world is moving on from you, here's my advice, let it move on. The Lord is returning soon for His bride. You know, whether we are alive and remain until His coming, or like our, our parents, our grandparents, and those that went before us, if we end up dying before the Lord's return, this advice that we have today from the Bible about preparing for the end is a great way to live, regardless if we're here at the coming of the Lord, or we're one of the faithful that are caught up first. Uh, and then the rest of, of those that are alive will be caught up together with us. So stay faithful. Encourage one another. Practice holiness. And remember, I'll see you in church. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this study. Of You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.